went public. One website said, if you had invested on that day in 1980 in this scrappy little computer's IPO, your 136 shares would have grown to 30,464 shares through five stock splits, and your in initial investment would have been worth 6.5, I'm sorry, $6.7 million today. Who knew, right? You would need almost supernatural investment advice to get a return of over 150,000%. No one can give tips like that. Or can they? Actually, we are going to listen to Jesus and we're going to get a better tip. And this tip is going to come from somebody who has a better track record than Rockefeller, than Bezos, than Buffett. The scriptures declare of him, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He literally knows what is going to happen. So it only makes good and logical sense to listen to him, Jesus. He's about to give advice. And when he gives advice about anything, we should listen. But today he's going to give us some advice about money, and it's only smart for us to listen up. And if I were to summarize his advice, it would go like this. Invest your money wisely. Why? Because your heart is fused to your treasure. Invest your money wisely because your heart is fused or married to or welded to your treasure. Treasure. Don't, mis don't misunderstand. Earning money is not wrong. But living for money always is. <clears throat> it's very for easy for us, without even meaning to, to worship money or the treasure and security that money gives us. This isn't just a matter of how we spend our money, but see, money and heart go together. So this is a matter of how we spend our love and our affection. For what you love, you will live for and invest in. And so Jesus directs us to invest our money wisely because our heart is fused to our treasure. I'm going to show you where I got that from, and that's in Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses, 16, I'm sorry, verses 19 through 21. This is, we're joining Jesus as he gathered his followers and others on what's called the, on the mount, and he gave what's called the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to read beginning in verse 19 as he takes up the topic of money and possessions. Jesus says, <clears throat> Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither rot moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there, there, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that every good gift comes from you, and so all of us in this room... We all have the ability to earn money. We have all earned money. We all have possessions and things, Lord. But those things have come directly from your hand. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to think for a moment, for these few moments, biblically about how to think about our money. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be able to preach clearly, effectively, boldly, and unapologetically, Lord. And it's in your name, Jesus, the great provider, that we pray. Amen. 
Invest your money wisely, Jesus would say, because your heart is fused to your treasure. Two points this morning. There are two kinds of investments and there's one kind of heart. Two kinds of investment we find in verses 19 and 20. There are bad investments and there are good investments. Many people, too many people, have the idea that, Bible, that the Bible condemns money at itself as evil. They may say that money is the root of all evil. That's not true. It's actually a misquote of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. The accurate quote is, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money itself is not bad. It's morally neutral. But the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, our problem is not money but how much we're tempted to love money. And Jesus knows this. Here in Matthew chapter 6, he's teaching to a crowd of first century Jewish people who spoke a different language than we do, who held different vocations than any of us do, who lived in a different country than any of us do, who had completely different culture than any of us do, but are just like us. Because loving money too much is an everybody problem. And you would think when Jesus begins to teach about money, you would think he would condemn money. He does not. In fact, if you scour the scriptures, you will find that there is no biblical teaching that directs Christians to take a vow of poverty. Ever. The Bible calls us not to poverty, but to generosity. And that's what Jesus is doing here by showing us two kinds of investments, a bad one and a good one. First, the bad one, verse 19. Do not, he says, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. How do we buy treasures on earth? Through money, right? So this all connects to money. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, our treasure on earth is vulnerable. What's apt to happen? We're apt to lose it. How? Well, there's passive loss that he talks about where moths destroy costly clothing and rust spoils costly metals. Then there's active loss that he points out where criminals come in and take what is yours. Now, our treasures today, even though they may not be vulnerable to moth and rust as much, we, we, our treasures in, or on earth today are still Vulnerable. We might modernize the language and say something like this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where termites and inflation destroy and where thieves hack in and steal your identity. Still happens. See, this is how Jesus is speaking to all of us. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. See, the issue is not how much you own or what you own, but whether how much you own and what you own owns you. And Jesus is just being really super pragmatic. He's like, guys, invest wisely. Don't invest the best of yourself in things on earth that will be destroyed or degraded or lost or stolen. It's a bad investment, he says, when we invest everything we have in earthly investments that we can lose. 
In fact, they're not ours permanently, are they? We can't take anything with us. This idea is expressed very well by all people, expressed by, of all people, Stephen King. He says this, not a Christian, obviously. He said, a couple years ago, I found out what you can't take it with you means. I found out while I was lying in a ditch on the side of a country road, covered with mud and blood, and with the tibia of my right leg poking out of my jeans, like a branch out of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett, going out broke. Bill Gates, going out broke. Tom Hanks, going out broke. Stephen King, broke. Not carrying a dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. And it's still going to be a quarter past getting late, whether you tell time on a Timex or a Rolex. He's right. He knows nothing about heavenly reward or heavenly investments, but he knows exactly what earthly investments return, and he knows exactly how long we can hold on to those. Earthly investments, Jesus tells us, are bad investments because they're lost, they're stolen, or they're taken. Now Jesus turns to good investments in verse 20. He directs us to put our money into safer hands. Verse 20, but Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So see, it, see the, the tracking it here? Treasure accrued here will decline and lose value. Treasure accrued there will improve and gain value. Treasure accrued here could be lost. Treasure accrued there will not be lost. See, this is our supernatural stock stock tip for the day. He says that your money, he says to use your money to invest in the kingdom and you will keep it safe. When you invest in the kingdom of God, your investments will not decompose, they will not decay, they will not be misplaced, and they will not be stolen. There is no life lock in heaven. You might even say that he's playing to our own self-interest. Guys, put your treasure where it cannot be lost. It only makes sense. Randy Alcorn puts it a little stronger when he says storing up earthly treasures isn't, isn't simply wrong. It's just plain stupid. It's stupid. Why? Because we can't hold on to them. We can't keep them. But how can we accrue treasure in heaven? Well, one way, and the way Jesus is pointing to here, is how we spend our money here on earth. We who follow Jesus will be rewarded in heaven. And heaven will be indescribably magnificent. Human language, human understanding is unable to approximate what it will be like 
to be with Jesus. There are no words. In fact, if you read when people describe what heaven is like, most often they tell you what's not there. This is what we see in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. See, those things which mark our lives so clearly, so often, tears, mourning, crying, grief, those things are gone, Jesus says. It's just, it's as if he's saying, you know what your experience is like here on earth? Totally different. It's what it's going to be like there. And if I told you, you you really couldn't understand. It's going to be stupendous. And everybody in this room who follows Jesus will be there. You will have your tears wiped away by your Savior. You will not mourn. You will not grieve. You will not cry. You will not experience any pain. That will be true. It will be wonderful. But every Christian will not be rewarded the same. And so it only makes sense while we are here to stockpile treasure there. Because when we give and give generously to the kingdom, these are treasures that we send on ahead into heaven, treasures that we cannot lose. Many ways, there are many ways we can stockpile treasures in heaven, but giving money to the kingdom purposes here on earth is one such way. And as we do, we stockpile rewards that we can't lose. Proverbs tells us the same thing in Proverbs 23. When your eyes light on it, money, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flies like an eagle toward heaven. Right? It's just gone. Right? How many times has money come to our hands and then slipped out of our hands because we had to fix this appliance or fix this about our home or apartment or had to fix this part of our car or had some medical expenses? How many times? Or inflation has just devalued what we have. How many times has money come into our hands and the value of that money or the money itself slips right out of our hands? Now, when we invest in kingdom purposes, we take our money and repurpose it. We give and stockpile, what does Jesus say? Treasure in heaven. This is very transactional. Generous giving equals treasure in heaven. You are literally, when you give, you are literally making a deposit in heaven. Now, and he says, do not lay up for yourself, or I'm sorry, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust, rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. It's incredible that we can take temporary possessions and turn them into eternal reward, but that is the deal, and that's a good deal. Money that comes and money that goes gives us the surprising opportunity to generously give and accrue heavenly treasure. Now notice what Jesus does not do here. He does not give percentages, does he? He doesn't lay down a set of rules. And rather, he gives a blanket statement. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, he's not saying that it's wrong to work hard and earn a good salary. He's also not saying it's wrong to take care of your family or to save for retirement. He's not saying it's wrong to own a home or a house. He's not saying don't have insurance, just trust God. But rather, he's saying that all of us need to engage with him personally and ask, am I using my money in such a way to accumulate treasure in heaven and not on earth? That's the question. See, it would be much easier if he just gave us ratios. If I hit my numbers, do my ratios, then I don't have to worry about it. That's not what he does. He says, here's a good investment, here's a bad investment. You choose. And if we think about what, what is ours today, it is not ours forever. We can pretend and delude ourselves into thinking that what we have today, we will always have. That simply is not true. What is yours today is not going to be yours forever. In fact, as we heard this morning, every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. Everything we have has been given to us by God. And you could say that everything we have has been loaned to us by God. It's really not ours. It's kind of like this. Over the years, in my many travels, I have rented many, many different cars. Sometimes they smell like smoke. Sometimes they're subcompacts that I can barely fit into. Sometimes they are huge, tricked-out SUVs. But in every time that I've ever climbed into one of those cars, I was never deluded into thinking that it was mine. I knew that I was just going to have it for a day or two or maybe five at the most. I knew that I was only borrowing it. Imagine how foolish it would have been for me or anybody who rents a car for a few days to personalize the car by slapping a bumper sticker on it. Or going to the DMV and getting a personalized license plate for Thursday and Friday. Or thinking, you know what, I really need to tint these windows. I'm going to pay to go do that. Because Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, it looks like it's going to be hot. Or, this car needs some racing stripes. I'm going to hook it up. So I'm going to look awesome driving it the next six times that I do. Back and forth from the hotel to the meeting. That's dumb. It's foolish. I wouldn't do that. Why? Because it's not mine. I'm going to turn it back in. It's Hertz's or Dollars or Nationals or whoever. The same is true with our money and possessions. They are on loan to us from the Lord. We're going to turn them in. But until then, we have the opportunity to use them for His glory and to invest in, well, to invest our treasure into kingdom purposes and thereby get heavenly rewards. Spurgeon says the same thing. Hold not earth's treasures with too firm a grasp. 
Our bereavements would not be half so sharp if we always viewed them as friends or tools being lent to us. A man does not cry when he has to return a tool which he borrowed, or he shouldn't. So there are two kinds of investments, good and bad. And we're called to invest our money wisely because our heart is fused to our treasures. There's two kinds of investment and there's one kind of heart. We see this in verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now when Jesus speaks of the heart, he's not talking about the organ right here that's protected by your rib cage that delivers blood to your whole body by beating 60 to 80 times a minute. The heart, biblically speaking, is what makes you you. The heart is your control center. It's how you see yourself. It's what you think. Your heart is what makes you tick. It is the seat of your mind, will, and emotions. The heart is what shapes what you love and what you hate. The heart is what shapes all of your decisions. And what does he say? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that is true for every kind of person in this room. For every kind of heart there is. There's only one kind of heart. It's the kind of heart that follows the treasure. Everybody's heart is fused to their treasure. And we will live for what we love most. And it makes sense. Imagine if somebody, imagine when, if you invest money in a stock, all of a sudden you have a much greater interest in the fortunes of that company. If you invest a great deal of money in a stock, you have a great, you have a vested interest in the fortunes of that company even more. You invest in the kingdom and all of a sudden you have a greater interest in the advancement of the kingdom. It's waterproof carpet on the new stage. But when we set our hopes on money, what we're doing is we're asking God, we're asking money to give us what only God can give. And that's not something we, we can do. God has given us many things to enjoy. He's no killjoy. He's given us taste buds to enjoy food. He's given us marriage to enjoy each other, our spouses. He's given us family to enjoy belonging. He's given us work so that we might enjoy our vocation. He's given us eyes to see the stars above and ears to hear music. Money is something that we have that we can use to enjoy the many gifts that are around us. So we're not called to give everything away but we are called to invest generously in his kingdom. It only makes sense. He's not calling us to get rid of all the money we have. He's saying get, all, get rid of all the hope you have in money, though. Those are two different things. Jesus is saying this is a matter of preserving your heart, your very self, by investing in the kingdom. Because your heart, what you love, who you are, your, your very self will follow what you invest in. So what is our motive for this kind of generosity? Not just to protect our hearts. We're going to talk more about that next week. But there's also a deeper reason. The man teaching this here in Matthew chapter 6 is the same man who in Matthew chapter 27 would be crucified and die. The Son of God. God gave the Son to pay for our many sins. 
It was an act of generosity. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. See, the standard here, what motivates us to be generous, is not just bare obedience, but the realization that the Father and the Son were impoverished so that you and I as Christians might be eternally wealthy. Jesus impoverished himself for our sake. He was generous. He didn't tithe himself. He didn't say, I'm going to wait for the market to improve. He gave everything. He impoverished himself for our sake. So what are some of the ways we can invest in the kingdom that can make an eternal difference? One thought, and I'll tell you what some of the things we're planning on as a church here coming up. One thought is this. Don't wait to feel generous to be generous. Don't wait till the feeling of generosity overcomes you to be generous because that will never happen. If we sit around and wait until we feel like being generous, we will find ourselves in the same position as we have ever always been. Generosity takes training and it takes risk. And you start small to get bigger. Maybe you're here and you're not giving. Okay. Maybe you start small and take small steps. Maybe you're here and you've been giving faithfully. Keep giving faithfully. Maybe you've been giving faithfully for decades. Wonderful. Keep giving faithfully. You can be generous, not just with the church, but also with people you know who need help. Missionaries out in the mission field. The point is, commit to give and give. Start young. You're not too young to start this. Talk about money with other people. Examine your necessities. Give to your church and other good causes. So if you're not a part of our church, give to your church and be faithful there. And I know that there are, men, there are investment opportunities here in our mission to advance the kingdom. And even as I lay these opportunities out, I'm grateful for all of you here who have been over the years and over the decades given faithfully. I'm grateful for those of you who are starting to give faithfully, maybe over the last couple years. And I'm grateful for those of you who are praying about giving regularly. But what you do, even as we're good stewards of what you give, what you do, you are investing into the kingdom of God, into the advancement of the kingdom, and laying aside for yourselves heavenly rewards. Now, there's a lot of things that we, there's a lot of exciting things going on at church, and the transition I'm going to talk about here briefly are primarily on staff. And as you know, Trey, our beloved pastor of nearly 35 years, if you've been around, you know he's retiring. Right now, he's working three days a week, and in June, he's going to go down to two days a week. Now, as of January, he will be retired. Now, that doesn't mean he's moving or going anywhere. He's still going to be an elder here. He's still going to do some counseling. He's still going to participate in our elders' meetings, but we're trying to free him up to enjoy 
for him to enjoy his years of retirement. We're going to ask less of him. And we are going to have a retirement party for him in March of 2024. Because I know a bunch of you would email me about that, and rightly so. The first weekend of March 2024. But here's what that means. We need to hire someone to assume his role. And as of this moment, we can't afford to do that. But let me tell you how I think, and our team thinks, the Lord is leading us. And here's where we need you to pray. We need you to pray. I'm telling you these things, not because these are settled decisions so much, as inviting you to pray. Here's where we are. Jeff Palin has been an elder here for nearly two years. And at first, we thought he was going to assume Trey's roles. But Jeff's strengths and orientation lie with preaching and teaching and not so much counseling. I'm sure that's obvious, at least in the preaching and the teaching part. He's oriented to preach, and he's oriented to teach. Frank Lundy, as you know, is at the pastor's college, and we asked him, we asked you over two years ago to pray about a church plant that we were thinking about sending to Mesa. Now, while at the, while at the pastor's college, the Lord has birthed a desire in Frank to counsel and shepherd. Now, we didn't coordinate this stuff. We didn't organize this. This is something that the Lord has done, and the Lord interacted with both of these men individually, and they brought this to the team. And he reached out to us in the fall and said, I wonder if I'm to maybe not plant a church, but come back and to serve as a shepherd if there's room. So we're not the sharpest tools in the shed, but we can recognize when the Lord's moving. And so Jeff and Barb have prayed, and we as a team agree that it seems as if the Lord is leading them to plant a church. So we want to invite you to begin to pray about that process. And that church plant, as it stands right now, we would shoot to send to the Boise area. So please pray. Now, this is not going to happen fast. This is at the beginning stages. And all of you youth parents who are gripping and about to text me and ask, what are we going to do? Stop. Put the phone down. It's okay. We've got a plan, and it's not happening fast. I'm telling you this at the beginning of the process so that you can pray. You can pray. And I think we have a good plan. But there are many miles to travel until we get there. Right now, the thing to do is pray. Now, Frank and Jessica are returning home in late June, and our hope is that we would be able to hire him at some point in the not-too-distant future to assume Trey's role. That's our goal. That's our, that's our desire. Both of those things happening at the same time. Now, as always, we would love to be able to answer your questions. Now, it takes money to plant a church and to hire a pastor. And as you heard from, as you heard from Zach, we're, we're flat, and you know maybe we could just sit there and just sort of stay status quo. But it seems to us that when the Lord calls men and churches to do things, we ought not to let money be one of those factors that limit us. Seems like there's opportunity to be able to advance the kingdom on two fronts. I would much rather have opportunity and gifted men to be able to step into those opportunities than money. It's much better. Because like if we had a bunch of money and we said, hey, we want to plant a church and we don't have anybody that we trust to plant a church, that's a problem. Or even we want to hire somebody but we don't really know anybody who we can hire. In fact, we have both candidates and we think both are called, equipped, trained, and gifted to be able to do this. But money is the only stumbling block right now. I'd much rather have it be that way than us to have a surplus but yet nobody to do anything with. That's much better. And I think it also gives us all the opportunity to be able to own this decision together. See, we believe these are good investments that will advance kingdom purposes. 
We believe that the, the benefit to our church to having Frank long-term is significant. We believe that the benefit to our church and the other, the, uh, a baby church to send to Idaho would be beneficial in the long run. So this is why we think it's, it's worthwhile to call ourselves, to just each of us individually, to think about how can we be generous? How can we each think about what a good investment is, what a bad investment is? How can we each check our hearts and recognize that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also? Now, this kind of generosity isn't going to make sense, probably, to your relatives, definitely not to your accountant, maybe not your friends, but it does make sense in the economy of eternity. God and his purposes are always worth sacrificing for. See, when we... Here's the thing about meeting Jesus. When we begin to follow Jesus, everything changes, right? Everything gloriously changes. You and I are no longer liable for our many sins. You and I are forever declared righteous before the law court of God. You and I have a king enthroned in heaven praying for us right now. You and I are indwelt by the same spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead. When we begin to follow Jesus, everything changes. But also, when we begin to follow Jesus, our relationship with everything else in this world changes too, including how we spend and how we think about our money. So I invite you, all of us, obviously speaking to people who are members of Center Church and attending Center Church. I'm not speaking to you if you're here as a guest. As a guest, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming and being with us and listening in on a bit of family business. I'm inviting all of us to think, how can we give, maybe faithfully for the first time, maybe generously if you've been giving for a long time, to be able to advance the kingdom in this way? Because the tip we got, which is better than the tip that would have come in if we had gotten this in 1980 about Apple, this tip is a better tip. It's what Jesus says. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there. There. Like Jesus says, there, there it is. Where's your heart? Who are you? You want to find out who you are? Follow your treasure. Follow what you love the most. And as we invest in the kingdom, as we invest our money wisely, our heart becomes fused more and more to him and his purposes. That's what we're shooting for. It's a privilege to be able to do this together. So let me pray. Lord, I pray that you would, I pray that you would help us each and every one to be able to just have your mind, Lord, when it comes to money. Lord, you've given us each provision. None of us are in this room lacking clothing or food. We have the basic necessities, and we have more, most of us, Lord. I pray that you would give us opportunity to be able to just I pray your Holy Spirit would come upon us so that we might be able to know and, and just check ourselves 
and recognize, what do I love the most? Ask those kinds of hard questions that you look in the mirror and you think, I'm not quite sure. So Lord, I pray that you would just give us the gift of sober reflection. I pray that you would help us, Lord Jesus, just to have a desire birthed in our hearts. To be able to see your kingdom advance on two fronts with the church plant and here in this church as we continue to try to be faithful to your mission and your purpose. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to just examine what we love and examine what we're investing in, Lord, without one ounce of legalism, without one ounce of guilt or shame. Lord, for we look to you knowing that you've given everything for us so that we might have an eternity with you and we might have an inheritance that cannot be stolen. Lord, what we have today and all that we are today is because of you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunity to be able to just give us the strength and the faith to take a step forward in risk, even if it's just a half step, even if it's just a first half haltering kind of step, just forward into investment into kingdom purposes. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see. I pray that you would throw open the floodgates for the members here. I pray that you would give them promotions and um, raises and new job opportunities. I pray that you would give them windfalls, financial windfalls, so that they might be able to be generous. For we know that you own, you own all, Lord, and you give. And so I pray that you would help us to be a generous people who sacrifice for the purpose of your kingdom, for planting a church and hiring a shepherd who, Lord willing, will serve for decades, Lord. Lord, we believe you're leading us in these ways, and I pray that you would, oh God, help us, Jesus, to see your mind. Thank you for speaking clearly and directly. Thank you for being unambiguous in your teaching, Jesus, and even more unambiguous in what you've done for us. You gave everything so that we might have it all. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we give thanks and pray. And we wait for you to move. It's in your name we pray. Amen.